This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dashan Johan. Muda has recently announced that it's going solo and will be contesting against not just Perikatan National but the Pakatan Harapan-led Madani government pack as well. Um, in this is in the upcoming state elections. Now, the move has received mixed reactions on social media with some saying it's inevitable, some sending well wishes while others have criticised and even trolled them. But what does Muda going solo tell us about our political landscape today? Is this move good for the people? Join me on the show to help me unpack this is Dr. Bridget Welch. She's an honorary research associate at the University of Nottingham Asia Research Institute, Malaysia. Welcome back to the show, Bridget. Great to be here as always. Now, as I just said in my introduction, Muda has decided to part ways um, from Pakatan Harapan and head to the polls battling not just PN, but the current government as well. Um, the public reaction towards the move ranged from well wishes to people even calling Muda a pro-Mahade Trojan horse. I'm sure you have seen some of these comments, Bridget. So clear the air for us. Why did Muda decide to break away from Pakatan Harapan? I think they assessed uh, the landscape and recognized that they uh, it was better for them as a party, uh, for them to grow uh, and to offer uh, a different options to the electorate. Um, they also, within the context of Pakatan Harapan, were treated uh, worse than UMNO <laughs> uh, from the perspective of a, of a, an ally. Uh, they were uh, they were constantly being attacked, uh, especially by PKR, and that they you know were were sensed with. The sense was that they were being poorly treated, um, and they recognized um, that there there were no other options uh, uh, within this alliance relationship. You know, and it's about uh, relationships should be based on mutual respect, and there wasn't that from the perspective of of many of the uh, looking at this from outside from the perspective of of Muda. What can you tell me about the relationship between Muda and Pakatan Harapan while they were in partnership? So I think one has to disaggregate the different Pakatan Harapan parties. Mm-hmm. I think that, and I think one also has to disaggregate the individuals involved, right? Because some there are cordial relationships with some and some, and not for, with others. So um, keep in mind that uh, Said Siddiq, uh, who leads Muda, uh, was in a relationship with Pakatan Harapan through Bursatu, right? So I think this is not something that just happened afterwards, right? So it's a long-standing type of dynamic um, that was at play. Um, um, but I do think what was seen from the perspective of uh, observers like myself is that uh, the what was being reported from the perspective of Muda uh, uh, um, uh, in terms of how Muda was attacked, what we saw is on Twitter and on social media, the relationship seemed toxic uh, of, uh, if there was one word that captured it, particularly with the relationship between PKR youth and Muda. Uh, I think that uh, it became pretty apparent that um, that PKR youth saw Muda as a threat uh, and that this escalated um, uh, uh, over the last two years, um, so much so that, uh, you know, it, it would almost seem for PKR that Muda was the political enemy compared to all the other parties, uh, including <laughs> Perkata National, uh, in terms of a coalition. So I think what we saw was a very um, toxic dynamic at play. 
What did Muda bring to the table when they were part of Pakatan Harapan? I'm, I'm wondering how they benefited Pakatan Harapan if they did, um, especially if we look at um, the elections in which they went in um, together, right? Um, the Johor elections, um, you know, and the reason um, GE15. So I think, you know, one has to look at these from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So I think Muda as a party, um, by bringing attention to the word Muda, uh, I think uh, created greater youth empowerment or youth awareness. And I think that something is important from recognizing in terms of the political landscape. It's not just about electoral issues. And keep in mind that, you know, the leaders in Muda had led the issues of Undi 18. So that had put it in and it exacerbated and enhanced the role of youth uh, within the political spectrum. They brought attention to the issues of youth and basically, you know, put youth issues on the table from a perspective of, of looking at them from an electoral point of view. Uh, in terms of electoral dynamics, in Johor, they were the new brand. So they did they performed better, especially among younger people in the Johor state election compared to other Pakatan Harapan parties. In the GE15, uh, in part because of the type of seats that they were contested and the timing that they were given those seats, which was almost like an afterthought, uh, the implication was that the uh, that they were secondary, right? So and that affected their campaign, uh, but they performed on par overall with that of Pakatan Harapa. But what happened is that Muda lost its comparative advantage um, and it's a comparative addition to Pakatan Harapan by actually becoming a Pakatan Harapan ally. Right. And this is a very interesting set of dynamics. Um, their other comparative advantage up until GE15 was that they had a prominent role on social media where many other Pakatan Harapan parties did not have those. Um, and I think it's important to step back and to look at Muda as a sociological process and, and, and an entity as opposed to just a political entity. One of the things about Muda is that it reflected a kind of different generation or cohort. Hmm. So many of the youth um, branches within Pakatan Harapan adopt the framework of Pakatan Harapan parties. So the focal point for Pakatan Harapan up until GE15 and the unreforming of the Anwar government was to remove UMNO. And so the implication of that was that we saw a, a dynamic such that uh, it was about reform and agendas of reform. I think Muda as a party emerged and grew in the time of more democratic space. And they are very much a product of the COVID-19 period, where a lot of younger people chose to come into politics uh, choosing not to go with traditional political parties. They wanted something different. They reflect the more democratic system and democratic uh, dynamics that exist in Malaysia. And the implication of that was that they kind of had a different outlook. Uh, uh, they aren't in the same hierarchical arrangements. And so Muda, in many ways, is kind of a product of the recent Gen Z kind of political conditions compared to many of the uh, the choices and people entering into parties that were formed earlier. And I think as a correct reflection of that, what we see is Muda has a slightly different way of engaging. They're not um, as... There's a more egalitarianism within the party compared because there isn't the same kind of institutional and hierarchy arrangements. Right. Um, they're more flexible in terms of their uh, way that they engage with different partner parties. Um, uh, they are focused less on, you know, race of 
issues of race. Uh, there's much more, you know, a different type of multi-ethnic um, uh, camaraderie and solidarity. Uh, and so they... And they also see politics very differently from the perspective of more focused on policies and deliverables uh, and kind of addressing issues as opposed to focusing on kind of uh, removing UMNO uh, and, and kind of agenda of the past. And that's different, right? Um, it also has its weaknesses, but I think it also reflects a um, kind of their emergence from the time that they came from. You bring up some interesting points over there. Um, how would you um, respond to people who say that Muda is a new party um, and hence they should have just sort of um, followed, uh, followed Pakatan Harapan's sort of leadership or guidance when it comes to seat negotiations and just accepted whatever they were given? Because this is something that um, we do hear a lot. Some of the critics point out that, um, you know, it's it's okay if um, Pakatan Harapan just gives them the tougher seats, um, you know, and, and if, if they just get two or three seats and, and so on and so forth, um, which is what they were sort of um, in that position, right? Um, even before GE15, when we look at the Johor State elections, they were always, as you pointed out, they were already always uh, sort of treated like a, like a stepchild, um, so to speak, of Harapan. Um, but pe some people say that that's part of the process. You know, um, you're a new party, so just, you know, take whatever you're given. And then later on, as the years go by, then you can sort of um, slowly find your place. How would you respond to that argument? So the median age in Malaysia is 30. 30. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think um, uh, if we look at the electorate, um, conservatively, they're 25%, as much as 40 to 45% of the seats are voters under 30. When you treat younger parties and younger leaders um, as secondary, you're actually discriminating against a large section of the electorate. When you treat a party of adults as children, you're sending a signal to young people and disempowering them. And unfortunately for Pakatan Harapan uh, and for Anwar's government, the treatment of Muda sent a signal about how young people are being treated. It's symbolic, but also substantive. Absolutely. Uh, in that context of how, how and of how young people should be treated. And there is a large section of the electorate who, you know, who view young people as uh, as not having the capacity to make their own decisions. And there is the sense that they should be protected or they should uh, uh, be patient. And I think that, you know, if we look at the history of all the political parties in Malaysia, uh, the pressures and changes have become from demographic and generation pushes. Uh, and the failure to to accommodate younger one, ones within the parties have really stymied the growth of the reform of those political parties. And some parties in the system have been better at accommodating young people than others. And I think that uh, we can look at that um, in very interesting ranges. So I think a DAP or an MCA have also groomed and allowed younger leaders to emerge, uh, although not since they don't, in MCA's case, they don't win that many seats, so they, they don't actually come out. But the fact is they've been fielded. Um, I think that in UMNO, we've seen mixed implications. PKR, we've seen mixed in terms of that, um, but some. Uh, and, and I think uh, when we go back to the 
dynamics of Muda, uh, you know, this idea that the this they should wait their turn. But this is also from the perspective of young people. This is their time. This is their voices. This is their in the issues that directly affect them. And, you know, earlier I was talking about the impact of COVID on young people mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the impact of the fact that uh, Muda emerged uh, as a voice for young people because of the concerns of, of a sense of, uh, of crisis and disempowerment. I think that, you know, one has to recognize that they need a place at the table. And when you treat uh, uh, them, they send them to the kids' table, um, uh, this, this sends a very negative system for a negative signal for a system that needs reform. On the show with me today is Dr. Bridget Welch. She's an honorary research associate at the University of Nottingham Asia Research Institute, Malaysia. We continue after the break on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Bella Box. I'm Dashan Johan, and on the show with me today is Dr. Bridget Welch. She's an honorary research associate at the University of Nottingham Asia Research Institute, Malaysia, and we're talking about Muda going solo. So, Bridget, now that they are going on their own, what are the risks and challenges that you see that Muda will be facing, um, you know, in the short term or in the long term, now that they've made this decision? So the Muda brand is a strength and a weakness. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a weakness in that um, it goes back to this the way people perceive young people, right? They see that they're not experienced. They see that they're, they, they, they don't have the same value or, and they treat them with less equality um, in that context. And so there is this kind of patronizing view of, of allowing younger voices to come to the table or to, be, to, to support them. And I think, um, you know, in part, it's because older people don't want to be displaced from their positions of political power and, and also from the perspective of, young, of older voters. Um, there's a sense that that they that there, there's a lot of learning that young people can can have. Um, and I think that. Um, so one of the challenges that Muda faces is to get over this hurdle of gaining the respect of being important to be at the table um, and, uh, and appealing to voters outside of their cohort. And I think that, um, you know, Muda is is a voice of young people, but young people are a very diverse group of people. And we see that in the voting patterns. So the ability and the need to reach out across youth is something that Muda still needs to do. Um, and, you know, and when the issues that affect youth are complex, they're not, and they're varied as are youth themselves. So um, Muda has, has a challenge of, of being more effective representation of the variation among youth. Yes, and I, and I want to dive into that a little bit more, right? Because um, product differentiation matters in, in politics. What does Muda need to do to differentiate itself from Pakatan Harapan besides the young branding um, which they have go uh, going for them, right? Um, because like you, you mentioned, you know, even DAP, um, you know, when we look at the likes of Lim Wei, PKR, you have Adam Adli, they, it, they may not, all these major political parties may not, be fielding young candidates regularly, but they can always use that as their counter arguments. We do have young leaders too. Um, so, and right now, Muda does seem to be coming off as a younger Harapan or a Harapan, but we can do the same job better sort of thing. Uh, do you think that's enough or how should they differentiate themselves more? 
So I, I first of all, I think, you know, it's important to recognize that all of the political parties uh, from UMNO all the way to PKR have some very talented young leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, you know, this is not about one over the other. I think it's about the question uh, I, I look at is whether or not young leaders get a place at the table, that they're valued, uh, that they're respected. Um, you know, I think it, it's interesting to look at the composition of Anwar Ibrahim's government. And while the age cohort moves down compared Compared to the earlier government uh, with many people in their 40s, again, I go back to the point that the median age in Malaysia is 30. And I think this uh, speaks to, uh, you know, the need to bring up the voices from alternative perspectives uh, that I think uh, make uh, policies and issues more effective. Is Muda Harapan? No. Uh, It goes back to the issues I mentioned earlier about we have to understand the genesis of the when parties are formed. Mm -hmm. You know, you have uh, PKR came out of the reformasi period of 1997, 98, 99. um, And it particularly has a brand and it has a personality structure. Um, It's a highly personalized party um, and the contestations within the party are highly personalized. I think uh, uh, Muda has that personalized element, and one of the challenges that Muda faces is to move away from just being uh, centered around side Siddiq uh, and in that context. And I think uh, contesting allows them an opportunity to feature other leaders in that mm. party. Uh, so. In a sense, one has to acknowledge what are the types of issues that they look at and where they came from. Muda, however, you know, I think uh, has to figure out what its priorities are going to be. What we can see so far is that they put a lot of emphasis on empowerment in terms of electoral empowerment uh, for UNDI 18. The second arena we saw was to emphasize the services on questions associated with floods and, and going out and actually providing social assistance. And there they were, their comparative advantage was en- emphasizing issues of energy mm-hmm. and, and, and enthusiasm and hard work. Um, uh, we can also see that Muda has offered different policy solutions to different sets of issues. Uh, we could see uh, in the last um, uh, six months, they have begun to do two things. Number one is they have kind of put themselves on the, the more progressive side of the political ideological spectrum. And, and secondary, they've also become a kind of critic of the Anwar government, uh, a different form of opposition. And that has weaknesses and strengths, right? Uh, from the perspective of that, uh, it also provokes attacks, and it also is seen to, you know, uh, 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 it appeals to those that are dissatisfied uh, um, from the perspective of um, uh, uh, of what's happening, whether or not there are reforms moving. So, uh, in some ways, they're taking on the issues of of reform that Harapan had done before, but they're doing it at a different time. Mm. Uh, So therefore, it becomes something fundamentally different uh, in that context. Uh, It is not um, an attack on on uh, directly on UMNO uh, the way it was in the past. It's on the sets. Their focal points are on the issue areas um, in, in a slightly different way. And that is is important for a democratic system. You need different types of voices that speak on out on these issues. And unfortunately, the circumstances that Malaysia is in right now, where uh, you have a, a unity Anwar government, uh, what means that uh, 
that they have to make accommodation. Many within that government are highly frustrated about the issues uh, themselves. So uh, they, but because of the fact that they need to work with different partners, they can't speak out about those issues. And this is one of the challenges of the Harapan government as well, is that there are very serious ideological differences within that party, within that coalition. So it, it is, uh, Esmuda has provides that space. Um, uh, but it will come at a direct criticism to Harapan. So it's not that they are the new Harapan, it's that they have become Emuda uh, w- as a result of the Harapan has changed. One of the strong, strong criticisms towards um, this announced move by Muda, um, and this especially comes from Harapan supporters, is that they criticize Muda saying that they are only going to split the votes and give victory to Perikatan National, even in places like Slango. Um, and these are the kinds of things you hear people um, talking about, even when I just have conversations with random people at in this this area, right? We are talking about the PJ and and whatnot. Um, these are some of the criticisms that people have. How do you read the situation? The whole splitting of votes. So first of all, I think um, voters need dem- need choices. That's what democracy is about. And I think by giving voters different choices, uh, you can actually uh, help to create clearer mandates about what the voters want. Right? If voters voted for change and there is no change, then there should have perhaps of different options um, in that context. So I think um, in terms of split voting, I think there are realistic considerations that this may happen. Uh, and I think this, um, uh, it, it will matter um, who they contest against and where they contest um, in that process. Uh, and I think that, um, uh, you know, the lesson here is not one of uh, attacking the challenger, uh, but more having more self-reflection about how the issues that the challenger are raising can be addressed uh, in in a meaningful way. Um, But uh, the reality is that uh, Malaysia has a first-past-the-post system, so there will be some split voting taking place. Uh, My sense is that um, uh, this will affects some, potentially have an effect on some seats, um, as we saw, for example, in Larkin and Johor. Do you think that, you know, just very quickly, do you think that it's high time we change our electoral system? Like you, you mentioned, you know, this is a sort of inbuilt sort of um, thing within um, a feature of the first-past-the-post system. It's winner-takes-all. Um, you know, you, you, you are, if there are multiple conduct fights, there is the risk of split votings and, and whatnot. Do you think it's high time we change from first-past-the-post towards a, a, a variation of a proportional representation system? I feel that um, clearly there are significant and serious conversations that need to take place about electoral reform. (laughs) Uh, My own view that there are other priorities that need to come before changing the electoral system, which includes a creation of a postal voting system or Mm -hmm. remote voting system that actually functions. Um, I would say that... um, these issues of electoral reform are very, very divisive. Uh, we're going to see from next year uh, the redelineation issues come back on the table, and we're going to have significant pressures, especially from Sarawak, about demanding one third of the seats. 
And I think that um, these questions um, will open up uh, a Pandora's box. And given the nature of polarization in Malaysia uh, and the, the consistency of issues of race and religion that older leaders uh, 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 predominate, and even in some ways uh, are still part of the narrative of Pakatan Harapan's government and Anwar's government, I think that uh, these first-past-the-post issues become um, very challenging, almost significant hurdles to address. So ideally, yes, uh, I think a proportional representation provides more representation um, for minority groups or for different voices at the table. Uh, but it, by getting to that point, uh, there may be a lot more division. And I think this may be very much more challenging. My recommendation would be to start local. Um, and this is where local government elections become really important. And this could be a place where you could introduce a different type of electoral system and you could allow different sets of voices. And I think, you know, going back to Muda's participation, this is a state election. This is a local election. Mm -hmm. You know, Muda's participation at states uh, are not directly going to affect the the government at the, of the day uh, and uh, from a perspective of the federal government. So I think that, you know, the sense that they are being the threat um, is is being is I think over overstated. In the recent article on Malaysia Kini, you make the argument that the conditions of today's political landscape make it favorable for a party like Munda to go solo compared to the past, right? What, why do you say so? What's unique about this juncture that we find ourselves in right now? So there are three factors. Number mm -hmm. one is the issue that voters are willing to, to look at new players differently. Uh, they want different options. There's a lot of frustration with the different options on 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 display. <laughs> uh, you know, the support for Burkitt National is partly because they're the new player on the block. Uh, in that context, especially, you know, the new coalition, they're the alternative. <laughs> so people are looking for alternatives. The second reason is that uh, they are, um, uh, to a, in many ways, um, they represent a kind of different conceptualization, a different idea of politics. Uh, their focal point is the, is not the same old leaders. Their focal point is on sort of focusing on policies and programs. Uh, and voters are concerned with that. Uh, um, and they, they just want the job to be done uh, uh, in that area. And third is that, you know, the conditions are that we have a, a changing demographic and, you know, voters look to parties that represent themselves and that demographic uh, is, is a pivotal one. So, you know, the changing of voting patterns, the changing political conditions and the changing societal conditions create a situation where new parties like Muda, ha, you know, offer something to the table. They they have a long way to go. Please don't misunderstand me in the in this context. Uh, they have uh, significant challenges in terms of uh, finding candidates that are that can appeal to voters. Uh, you know, prioritizing their sets of agenda. You know, moving from a kind of macro conversation about politics, but or just things that are concrete. Um, you know, the electorate is very demanding, uh, but they are an alternative, um, and uh, uh, that 
you know, the challenge will be whether or not they can uh, win enough votes uh, to continue to be agenda setters <laughs> um, and also um, uh, to win, to potentially uh, show that their voices and their support matters so that bring that so that this translates into conversations about the issues that they have been able to challenge for issues of governance. I'm glad you brought up agenda, Bridget, because much of the conversation on social media has been centered around seats, um, who's going to win what, who's going to contest where, which is important in state elections coming up. Um, we too talked about the splitting of the vote and all of that, but I want to put election results aside for a second. What could be the impact of Muda going solo in terms of setting the agenda and political conversations moving forward? Um, and could we also see an impact um, now that MUDA and PSM have decided that they're going to just sit down and, and have some conversations in terms of, um, you know, perhaps seat negotiations or, or just to try to avoid um, um, sort of overlapping of seats there? So first of all, I want to clarify, my understanding is that MUDA and PSM have mutual respect, but they're not working together. Right. Okay, But I do feel that... Um, there are uh, common grounds that they're focusing on issues of progressive agenda uh, from perspective calls for reform, uh, the need for, um, you know, better wage policies, better education policies. Uh, I think there, uh, um, there, there are some aspects of common ground um, by bringing attention to different sets of issues. I think, you know, what Muda has done is that there's there's much more focus on policy conversations. You know, uh, take the example about how one raised the questions associated with uh, racial quotas and affirmative action policies, uh, which, of course, is a policy of the 1970s uh, that, um, uh, you know, that continues to permeate. Uh, the response was to present alternatives. Now, those can be debated in their substance and their, and their focal point, but that is a very healthy conversation to have uh, as opposed to, you know, talking about the rights of, you know, one community versus another, then then the, the issue is really is about how do you improve and strengthen the education system and ensure that all communities get access to, to education um, and help to address the inequalities that exist within all communities. And I think that this common ground um, uh, between different parties, uh, uh, the ability to be able to work together in a coalition system and a political fragmented system and to talk about policies in meaningful ways, I think is an important part about building a democratic system. Uh, and that's where I think Muda and PSM play an important role uh, of putting certain types of issues on the agenda. Uh, and we all know that in a first-past-the-post system, getting to that point uh, of being elected is a real challenge. Uh, it's not impossible. Uh, you know, and keep that in mind. Uh, it's not impossible. But uh, where there are also realities that you know what that that because of the political fragmented system, that people will need to have allies, and 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 uh, and respect of mutual respect. So therefore, you know, uh, not competing against each other, allowing everyone a fair chance to win in a particular seat, or at least to to make an impact. I think those things uh, are have to do with how people see each other. It doesn't mean that you accept all of other people's agenda. And I, and I think, you know, what's interesting about the conversations about Muda is that they're, you know, they're stuck so much in the past, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to recognizing the choices are um, about what are the different current conditions, uh, you know, 
Mahathir is a provocateur now, uh, playing a p- pivotal role. Um, uh, and but you know, Mahathir similarly, you know, mentored Anwar. <laughs> so why is there no conversations about that? Right. right? In, in in that particular area, there's the there's the sense that uh, you know there's different selective interpretations about the way people perceive different individuals and different parties. So I do see uh, the issues of. Uh, of collaboration, the importance of changing politics in terms of putting out issue areas, putting out solutions, is a very important part about what's happening now, um, and, and which Muda plays a role. As do, uh, by the way, other political parties. Do you think um, this move um, by Muda to go solo? Do you think that could shift the overturn window to the left by? by them pushing for or taking up issues that the bigger coalitions don't have the courage to take up? Reform takes many different uh, uh, manifestations. So, uh, the Pakatan Harapan, um, uh, you know, had pushed for issues of corruption. And I do think that the Anwar government has raised those concerns. Um, uh, we haven't yet seen much substance, but we've had uh, conversations about it. I think the uh, unity government has had some very important legal reforms, um, uh, and I think that there's been some uh, character, uh, traction on that. Um, I think what uh, the agendas uh, that PSM emphasizes uh, are having to do particularly with issues of labor and wages. Um, and here there has been some common ground with Muda's conversation about um, increasing wages for young people, uh, uh, changing the wage structure. And I think that we have also seen Rafizi talk about a progressive wave structure mm-hmm. um, and uh, and to respond to these types of discussions. These things don't get as much attention in the media, um, but they're ongoing. And so there is a conversation that is taking place among multiple parties about how to engage that. Uh, just as, for example, one can remind ourselves that UMNO in their GE15 uh, a manifesto had this idea of uh, an a, a income, you know, for being provided for people. So I think uh, these issues on the left, uh, as you describe them, mm-hmm. or progressive issues about uh, the conditions and wage structures that people are facing are being uh discussed by many voices, including by Perkta National. Uh, you know, I think uh, uh, this is this time in Malaysia has put attention to progressive issues as a result of the fact that during COVID, the country faced one of the worst crises it's ever had. And so those and because and more fundamentally, because these issues are very much are needed to have attention because of the conditions that ordinary people are facing. So. I think this is less about Muda and PSM. It's more a product of what's happening in the country and the political parties trying to address and engage those issues. The left, uh, the conditions for the left are in a new social contract in Malaysia are more real and more substantive than they've ever been. Could this also be a wake-up call to some Harapan leaders in perhaps very safe seats in places like Selangor and Penang? Um, Harapan leaders who prior to this could have rested in their, on their laurels if they wanted to, not saying they have been, but if they wanted to, they could have, uh, knowing full well that their voters will not vote for PAS or Prikata National. This idea that, you know, I don't have to do my work to the best of my abilities. Why are you, who are you going to vote for if it's not me? Is it gonna, are you going to vote for PAS? This kind of idea, now with, let's say, um, like a, a party like Muda, they're contesting, challenging them. Um, 
it does bring about options um, for the people, for the the, the traditional um, Harapan supporters. So do you think this could be a wake-up call for some Harapan leaders? The short answer is yes. Uh, but I would point out that, you know, there are uh, some very good leaders mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I would include, um, you know, across the political spectrum so that are doing their job, speaking about issues in parliament, uh, working hard on the ground. You know, we can see considerable variance in the way Aduans perform as well. Uh, so I think that, um, uh, you know, yes, it's a wake up call. And this go- this goes back to what I was raising earlier. More choices make a democratic system. They make the government more accountable. They put pressures. Um, I think that, um, you know, you the emergence of an alternative progressive choice for voters um, really does make um, make the system more robust. Um, and I think it will be a very important wake up call for those the places where uh, Muda chooses to contest. Before we wrap this conversation up, um, Bridget, just I have to ask, because they are going solo and it is the state polls around the corner, what do you think Muda's chances are at the polls realistically? You know, I think one thing we've learned about Malaysia and politics <laughs> is to expect the unexpected. Right. And I think that, um, you know, Muda has an extremely very steep hill to do in terms of performance. Uh, they have some boosts that help them up that hill in terms of potential uh, cohorts of people that can potentially vote for them. But their work is cut out for them. I think uh, the challenge, the first challenge is not to lose the deposits. Uh, you know, keep in mind, all the parties have had histories of losing the deposits. Um, it, I think like PAS, Muda understands that the struggle for political change and is one that is going to be uh, long and arduous. Um, it requires hard work. Uh, I think that uh, they they the issue will be whether or not they can hold their deposits first. <laughs> um, but also, um, my own view, the realistic assessment is not to assess their electoral performance, but more how they change the agendas and how they change the political um, tenor of conversations. Um, And in this regard, I think they've already become a real force to reckon with. Well, on that note, Bridget, thank you so much for joining me today. That was Dr. Bridget Welch. She's an honorary research associate at the University of Nottingham Asia Research Institute, Malaysia. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.